cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 26th, 2009. For the newcomers, you should look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, and you'll find there hundreds of talks I've given in the past in audio format for download, and you can peruse these at your leisure. Also, bookmark all the other sites I have up there, and you should use these other sites occasionally too, especially if you find sticking when trying to download audio, that means that too many people are going into the main site, the comm site, at the same time. So you can also choose from cuttingthrough.jenkness.com. That's on the front page as well. There's cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca. There's also Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca. And there's Alan Watt, sentinel.eu, the European site, the last one has all the audios, but it has addition of transcripts of quite a lot of the talks I've given for download and print up written in the various languages of Europe. And as always, I start off by saying, even though times are coming down and getting hard for everyone, uh, this show is brought to you by you, yourselves. No one's backing me here. There's no organization. There's no... Um, companies uh, using me to front for them. There's no NGO behind me. There's no foundation behind me. It's up to you. The advertising you hear on this show uh, pays straight. It goes straight to, not from, I don't even handle it, I don't even see it. It goes from the companies that advertise straight to RBN, and that pays for this airtime. It pays the technicians and staff the bills at RBN. So it's up to you to keep me going by looking into the site, see what I have for sale. There's not a lot there. I never have time to do anything else, to be honest with you. And I definitely could make a lot of money if I just turned out the books. But the way it is here, I spend so much time trying to find out what's really relevant to tell the people. I don't have time for that. So it's up to you to keep me going. You can also donate as well to me. How to do it is on the website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And remember, personal checks are good for Canada and the U.S. International postal money orders can be used from the U.S. to Canada as well, if you don't have a bank account, that is. And outside the Americas, you can use Western Union or MoneyGram or Cash or PayPal. It's up to you. And you can also do your homework and find out which is the cheapest anyway, because some companies charge more than others, quite a bit more. So it's up to you how you want to, to do it. But it's important to keep me going, because believe you me, there's always the same people, the same people, and it's a few people who donate on any regular basis at all. Everyone else expects everyone else to do the donating, the donating for them. That's how it works in this today's society where everyone has been taught that everything is somehow free. But nothing's free. All the stuff out there that you think is free is for data collection 
uh, so that they can have profiles on you, but your Facebooks and all the rest of it. Your mainstream media, although you think it's free, is there to give you utter propaganda and bring you through into a new system and keep you quiet at the same time by all the trivia they feed you and the misleading information and the outright lies as well. So, as I say, look into the site, see how to donate to me, uh, and keep it going. And those who just get disburned and passed to them because they prefer to listen on the CD players, I don't blame them. I'll give you the address when I come back. as where you can get in touch with me if you want to help out yourselves. Back in a moment after this break. through the matrix. Now, folk who get the disc burned and passed to them from people who have computers to play in their CD players, you can always write to me at Alan Watt, W-A-T-T, Site 41, Box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T, A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, number 4, N as in Nora, and the number 1, P3E4N1. And I really do need uh, to see your contributions to uh, keep me out of the hole, and the hole is getting pretty deep. Now, over the weekend I was thinking uh, about something I've said so often that it's become almost uh, monotonous for me to even repeat it. But the fact is, you don't have to look into the way out conspiracies and conspiracy sites to try and find out what's going on. You're living through what's going on. <laughs> You're living through it. The signs and the symptoms of what's going on affect you. The laws that are put out uh, there to uh, take control of your lives, basically, are affecting you. You're living through what's happening. And you're seeing your own governments participate in the furtherance of tyranny. And it's open. It's in your face. All you, the only thing you don't have, really, is the ultimate group that finances all the politicians and puts them in power, coming out and saying, saying yes, we do it, or yes, I did it. You see, that's where you're, most people truly want someone to come out and, and, and say, on, it's got to be on television too, by the way. It wouldn't work any other way. It's got to be uh, a well-known face coming out on television saying, yes, we did it, before they're happy. Before that happens, no matter if they have 100% evidence that the lives are crazy are being changed drastically, they, they, they won't really do anything about it. They're still waiting for somebody to confess. And that's why conspiracy sites are put up. And remember, two conspiracy theories and so on, and theorists were put out by counterintelligence to poo-poo anybody who's trying to dig into what's really happening and who's behind it. And unfortunately, a lot of conspiracy theorists grab that title and run with it, very proud of it. As I say, you're living through the greatest changes that have ever happened in hundreds of years. 
hundreds of years. One of the Rockefellers talked about that 30 years ago. The system coming in would be the greatest upheaval the world had ever, ever seen since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. They said the same thing with the Internet that would add to that. Well, they knew then, you see, that they're going to use the Internet not to help you, but mainly to confuse you, but primarily to get you hooked on it so they could watch and monitor everything that you're doing because they knew the society they wanted to bring in. Now, a long time ago, a long, long time ago, when certain societies officially came out into the open, again under fronts, they had certain fronts set up that were licensed to operate, to exist, always misleading the public, and always coming out with a champion for the public, such as the Fabian Society that I've talked about before. That's one organization connected to a myriad of other branches that make the big tree of life of the controlling system on the, on the planet. And the Fabian Society had to get, just like the communist system, it had to get the workers behind them. Many people today still think the Fabian Society is a, an organization out there to get workers' and laborers' rights. They still do think that. But look who set it up. At least look who was set up to be seen by the public. The list is on their own website of famous people. What they don't like telling you, except if you go into other books, is who funded them. And they were funded again by this parallel government of foundations. And people like the Astors, the Astor family, amongst many others. But getting the people behind them is important, so they always come out and say, I and we speak for you. We care about you. And they say everything that's self-evident to everyone. And we love that because we're so used to lies and evasion from politicians that we jump into these things and before you know it they've got a massive following and they'll keep that up for a little while and you'll, you'll be even more stuck to them thinking they really are speaking for us they're, they're, I, I belong to them they're ours and all the while they're actually putting a part of a plan in just one part of a plan because each foundation has its fronts and each one has is area and the big great plan, the great work. And part of it tied in directly with a world society, a world government. That's why they were given the job and set up to get the workers on board for world governments. And that international socialism, which is a nice term for international communism, that the leaders of today's Fabian society still belong to the Internationalist Socialist Party as their members of the Fabian Society, like Tony Blair, the ex-Prime Minister of Britain, and like Mr. Brown, the present Prime Minister of Britain. Now, they discussed in the 1800s the problems they would face because they had to bring in a multicultural society to destroy the existing nations. That was imperative their big boss, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, 
that was set up, remember, really um, as the final stage of the creation of two other previous organizations, the Rhodes Foundation, that should be Rose, Rhodes and Rothschild Foundation, because Rothschild funded it, that's in, that's in their own records, co-founder. And they merged it with the Milner, Lord Milner uh, Society, another branch they'd set up to deal with another parts. And the Milner Group uh, also was made up of all the big banking families and international banking families based in London primarily, although the other ones are broad. And then they set up for non-British Commonwealth countries what they called the Council on Foreign Relations, which was the same as the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They meet together annually and sometimes more than once a year. To bring in this wonderful multicultural society, but they also knew that probably towards the end, depending how fast they had to bring in the immigrant, immigrants, um, they'd have terrible plans, terrible, plan, uh, terrible outcomes, I should say, of massive influxes of vastly different peoples, different cultures. And they'd have to hammer society through laws and threat to make everyone just accept everyone else and accept the way it is or was going to be. If you go back into the writings and try and get the books out there for those who don't have them off, put out by the Rockefeller Foundation on behalf, you see, he did the funding for all the books for the Royal Institute for International Affairs uh, try to get a hold of their, their annual meetings and he, because they publish them every year. And you'll find every major politician from every country they have ever heard of attends. Generally, those in charge of their treasury departments attend this non-governmental organization. This non-governmental organization that has the biggest think tanks on the planet working on crucial elements of the upcoming society which they're guiding into being. And you'll find they have members always within the current party in power, and they have members within the current bureaucracies and, and federal and state organizations. And they also have many ex-politicians and high-level bureaucrats and prime ministers and presidents working and what Professor Carl Quigley, who was the, was the historian for this group, called it the parallel government. And Quigley was all for this big agenda. Now, you go into, again, it's one part of it, the Fabian Society, to get the working class on board. And you find that the founders have a stained glass window set up in the house the big building that was initially their place. And you can find that on the internet, where you find likenesses of the founders at the founding meeting hammering the world, the whole world, on an anvil, like blacksmiths would hammer metal into shape. And that's what it symbolizes, hammering the world into shape. And they said that the nation state would have to go from the very beginning internationalism only and they planned three main trading blocks by the way three main trading blocks 
The same ones, of course, that Karl Marx wrote about in the 1800s as well. See, these guys all knew each other very, very well. And they set up organizations to bring in a United Americas. That was the, the job of the Council on Foreign Relations and another specialized branch called the Trilateral Commission. For the Pacific areas, including Australia and New Zealand, China, Japan and others, they set up the Institute for, for Pacific Studies, they called it a front group for the same organization and going through some of that and the fallouts of it all as we get hammered into shape after this break. through the matrix just uh, as always giving a little background to something before I just read it off because if you you don't understand the background of the whys of things you won't really understand what's happening today and I was going through some of the Fabian Society Royal Institute of International Affairs the really powerful organizations that set up specialized branches to make the the preparatory stages for three three world conglomerates, you might say, of blocks of countries. And they spent a hundred years at that. A hundred years to set it up. And literally they went to geopolitics uh, with their members in power in every generation, getting the wars going, getting things going, so that they could eventually amalgamate everything together at the end. And they discussed how they'd bring in excessive multiculturalism you see when immigrants come into a country they generally come in and, and they drift in, in bits and pieces and they amalgamate into the culture of the country that was also the big lie they put out about the European Union they said, and these guys were behind that they drafted it up in fact, the same organization and they said that you'll keep your sovereignty, your, your culture and your way of life and your, and, and your sovereignty too and they lied and lied and lied for about 30, 40 years about that. And now we see this monster up at the top, and it's run in secrecy at the top. And really, really it's, it's, as well as getting run from Mars, it's so remote from all the countries that it lords over this tower of Babel. And here's one of the articles that's come out, probably on cue at the right time. Because they do love to admit sometimes how they've done things, and it's almost like a, a slap in the face to the public, like, didn't you notice? And I've, I've mentioned before that the guys that they pick to go into the top as prime ministers or presidents are chosen years and years and years before the public ever hears of them. They're vetted and trained for the little role they'll have. They're guaranteed, in fact, I'm sure, probably 15, 20 years before we ever hear their names, that they will be made president or prime minister. And here's what they're going to do uh, when you get in uh, that far back. Because we're living a script, a well-written, rehearsed script. They've been over every possible backlash and how to deal with it. That's how things are done in the military. If we did do this, the enemy will do that. How will we overcome that? This is all done on the drawing board over and over and over again so that they can always 
counter-opposition. This article came from the Mail Online on October the 25th. It's from, uh, as I say, the Mail in Britain. Now, Britain is the, the flagship for us all to follow. Whatever happens there, believe you me, is happening elsewhere at the same time. Other countries, like Canada, are much more quiet about it. It's almost more arrogant, I should say, because we're really a colony, you see, of London. A colony. And the, the, the colonial leaders uh, really lorded over the public uh, with a, a form of disdain, uh, uh, a snobbish disdain, and they hated telling the public anything at all. Well, they still do in the Commonwealth countries. It says here, dishonest Blair, Tony Blair, who's left, of course, as everyone knows, and the other Fabian Brown is now in, and uh, Tony is in the running to be the first president of this monstrosity, this EU super parliament, this totalitarian system. And it says here, dishonest Blair and Straw, Jack Straw, his right-hand man, accused over secret plan for multicultural UK. Now, why didn't they say this when he was the Prime Minister of Britain? And it says, Jack Straw and Tony Blair dishonestly concealed a plan to allow in more immigrants and make Britain more multicultural because they feared a public backlash if it was made public. So they made it secret. The allegation was made after a former Labour advisor said the government, that's left wing supposedly, uh, um, said the government opened up UK borders partly to humiliate right wing opponents of immigration. If you're right wing under the definition in Britain, it means you're a nationalist. It means you believe in, 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 in sovereign nationalism. That's what it now means. Andrew Neither, who worked for Mr. Straw when he was Home Secretary, and as a speechwriter for Mr. Blair, he's really more important than Blair in some ways, because the guy who writes, Mr. Blair would say, definitely is more important. Anyway, he said, a secret government report in 2000 called for mass immigration to change Britain's cultural makeup forever. Forever. It says, um, Mr. Nita said there was a driving political purpose behind Labour's decision to allow in hundreds of thousands of migrants to plug gaps in the Labour market. He said the stance was foreshadowed by a report by Mr. Blair's Performance and Innovation Unit. Now, that's a private organization, a think tank, which said the nation would benefit from more migrants. So here again, you have this strange association of private think tanks, like, like the U.S. is run by the Rand Corporation, uh, telling prime ministers and so on what to do and think and how to go about it. And it sounds so innocent, too, performance and innovation unit. Who would think this job was to eradicate all sovereignty? and any trace of a British history, for instance, and every trace of any other ulterior or previous British way of living. And that's what it is, of course. And you're looking for conspiracies and people to come out and admit they did things. They're doing it all the time. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix reading from an article from Mail Online to do with a deliberate policy which is basically telling you it's designed to eradicate British tradition and British history in a sense because if you want to conquer the world you must do this in every country you see you must eradicate the things that would bind people together and fight a totalitarian system when no one has anything in common with anyone else and, and the culture is already three quarters destroyed it's been done through TV and movies and God knows what else for years and years and years and years until you're not sure what you are at all that's the whole point of it the BBC is very good at that and there's no one to stand up together and fight if they do stand up about anything and demand the rights or to keep tradition I mean you can't even uh, put a Christmas tree up I mean a, a Christmas decoration up or anything to do with religion and, Christ- and Christianity and lots of the, the big cities across the UK anymore it's forbidden forbidden by law but it's okay to, to have all, everybody else's cultures up there and everyone else's religions up there just to get the tension rising a bit more. That's what they do at the top. And then they deal with the fallouts. You already have gangs and Asian gangs and different gangs all fighting each other for turf in certain big cities. And there's lots of articles out now, and I won't bother reading, reading them because this is all intentional. Of course it would happen. It's been encouraged as the last of the old British system goes down the tubes to bring in the new. And it won't be some nice, happy, multicultural society. I keep telling people that they will somehow emerge out of it. We're being guided through it. We're guided into it, through it, and we'll get guided out of it at the end. And they're give you a new, subservient culture, not some natural amalgamation, but a designed, subservient, obedient culture. Because this is all about obedience, ultimately. I did that way. And the public are looking for conspiracy theories. We see the people who sign the laws. We see them going into their meetings. We we see what organizations they belong to and what they advocate. All of this is so far outside the political field, even though they're mainly politicians because they're all run by external think tanks, private organizations that are funded by foundations that are owned by international bankers. That the public have no ability to reach the politicians, not that it would be listened to anyway. Because there's no one in politics today that hasn't been vetted, as I say, years before you ever hear them on any party whatsoever. The party is the greatest con game ever devised. And as the world, because it's happening across the world and all across Europe and everywhere else, as the world goes through all this strife, as cultures clash, and there will be ones that will apply for dominance over the old, and you'll have the gangs fighting each other, which is wonderful for the police state, because they point around and say, well, it's not this group fighting that group. No, it's British people fighting British people, so all British are suspect, and you've all got to be treated like children. That's what, how it's handled, as simply as that. But as it happens across the world, remember, remember the world being hammered on an anvil by those who decided they should rule it. And remember, too, 
Remember the old Dick Chum, the Mazzini, another world socialist, said, we have to destroy their cultures in order to rule them. And they said that in the 1800s. It's amazing, but people never really get it. They're always looking for some incredible alien to come in and admit, yes, we did it. We're from Zeta Reticuli. Or we crawled out of a swamp, all scaly, or whatever. We see the people. We see the liars every day. We have access to the organizations to which they belong. You can see what they're sworn to, what they have sworn to. We are looking for hidden conspiracies. And you still want to believe politicians. And you will the next time they put some puppet in front of you. Amazing. Their disbelief, disbelief that this is actually happening and helps us to take, take, take steamroll ahead. They can't believe it. It's that easy. <laughs> In Europe, New York Times, the New York Times watches Europe because it knows darn well that the U.S., Canada, and most of all of Latin America eventually uh, will be amalgamated. Do you remember the last signing for at least Canada, the U.S., Mexico, and I think Chile as well, takes place by the leaders, uh, I hate to say that terrible word, of the countries in 2010. And everything is technically integrated legally. Then you'll see the machinery unroll month by month, year by year. And so the same as Europe. Uh, this says here, ever-present surveillance rankles the British public. Well, no kidding. It's become commonplace to call Britain a surveillance society, a place where security cameras lurk at every corner, giant databases keep track of intimate personal details, and the government has extraordinary powers to intrude into citizens' lives. This is a blueprint, really. It's a reflection of where we are here, really. A report in 2007 by the lobbying group Privacy International placed Britain in the bottom five countries for its record on privacy, privacy and surveillance on a par with Singapore. Singapore. And it gives you an, an article telling you how bad it actually is, right down to your local level. Remember the lie about this at every level too. Oh, it's only for the, the federal government to do it. And then, oh, then eventually... Everyone's got access to all the data, even your local council, who sends spies out full-time to follow you around and watch you. And that's what this article is about. And I'll let people read that for themselves. But here falls in with the very first story I was talking about. You see, the three trading blocks that Marx and all the other boys envisaged that they would have at the end. And I talked about the Institute for Pacific Studies, as they called it, and then the other one, the Institute for Pacific Relations, as it was called, which is just the CFR for the Far East, because that's who ran it, all members of the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs. And they set up, they set up the process to amalgamate this by putting their guys all over the Far East, 
And intergenerationally, they're bringing them together. Now, as I said, they would years ago. I've said it on this program before many times. And I said, too, they'd lump Australia and New Zealand and with China and Japan and others. BBC News, Asian leaders eye EU-style block. And it's 24th of October, 2009. Asian leaders meeting in Thailand is discussing plans to lead the world by forming an EU-style community by 2015. Actually, most of the little signatory agreements have already been done over the years. It's just to get used to, to the public. A primer. Japan's Prime Minister Yukio Hatoyama argued nations should take advantage of the region's more rapid recovery from the recession than the West. It would be meaningful to, uh, for us to have the inspiration or aspiration that East Asia is going to lead the world, he said. Leaders of the Association of Southeastern Asian Nations, called ASEAN, are meeting other regional heads at Cha'am Beach Resort. Increased integration. The community would involve the 10 members of ASEAN with regional partners, and that was set up, by the way, by the CFR of the Far East. Uh, says here, the 10-member Asian with regional partners, China, Japan, South Korea, India, Australia, and New Zealand, Japanese officials have said. Officials said the East Asian nations would carry out a feasibility study for a huge free trade zone. That's already been done years ago, by the way. This is just a primer, as I say, uh, or to get you used to the idea that it's coming quickly now. But there's a debate at the summit over whether the community would also include, include listen to this, the United States. Increased integration has been a recurring theme of the meetings in Thailand as the region seeks to capitalize on its recovery from financial turmoil. That's just a little bit of filler they put in there to throw you off. On Friday, the leaders officially launched a new human rights watchdog. Correspondence to the new commission is in part a response to criticism that the region is soft on human rights abuses by member nations such as Burma. Now, they use the same sort of stuff on different places in Europe. It said here, uh, anti-government protesters, if you're, anti if you're against any, any policy of government now, you're anti-government. That was used in the Soviet system, so welcome to the world Soviet. Anti-government protesters forced the cancellation of the previous attempts to hold the summit in April. Around 18,000 troops and dozens of armored vehicles have been deployed to ensure the summit passes off smoothly, with another 18,000 on standby or on duty in Bangkok. And that's democracy in action again, you see. Everything is going to plan. People ask me all the time, are they way behind or are they set? I say, no, they're right on cue. They run it like a business plan. This will happen in the year, oh, 1914, uh, we'll finish around 1918. Uh, we'll have a few things happen in between it. Uh, and then we'll have about 1939 to 1945. Uh, and then we'll have something in Korea to, to start off that one. Uh, and then maybe Vietnam, that'll amalgamate all those little tribes together to fight the Americans. Then they'll fit into the world order as one country. And that's what happened. That's how the world is run. That's how geopolitics works. Big plan. How can you be in geopolitics if you have no final outcome of your plan? Of course they have it. So they're using the same stuff to bring in this already set up, really. It's all set up. The machinery is set up uh, for this block in the, the, the Eastern Bloc. And then you'll have the European Bloc and 
Bloc of the Americas, just like they said at the beginning, under a world government. So all these blocks really will be uh, like provinces with a provincial leader. Everything is going absolutely to plan. And they tell you about it. They do publish stuff right in front of your face. And if you notice, there's never any, any feedback from the public because if the public are not involved in this plan. <laughs> we are just the cattle that are moved from one field to another. That's the reality of the bogus democracy you've all had rammed down your throats all your lives. We've all been looted again by the bankers. Remember, too, that this uh, organization has all the big bankers on its board. They set up the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Their own sons came out of university and were the first agents to bring in the world society. Some of them actually started wars, and Professor Carl Quigley, who was their historian, gives their names and how they did it. <laughs> no conspiracy book. Quigley wasn't some nutty professor. He was right up there in the U.S. State Department. He was up there in the Pentagon giving lectures on geopolitics and cultures and what works in history and what doesn't work if you want to pull it off again. And as I said, we've been looted by the bankers again, and it tells you who the little boys in power really serve as they take your money and loot you and pay back the bankers who've already looted the cash and stashed it somewhere. They call it money heaven, but none of us have got the key. Just them. And they get rewarded for looting us, because that's how you do it in this upcoming society. They give you 50 years, sometimes 100 at the most, but generally 50 years of accumulation of real goods or wealth, and then they steal it from you. And then the government uh, covers their ass and makes you uh, pay up to fill the big holes in, in the tax base, you see, that's been looted for a few generations. Standard, standard procedure. This article here is from Mail Online. It tells you how they're going after everyone else you see at the top. The ones at the top go after everyone else to steal and rob from you in this age of totalitarianism. This is from, says, Secret Court seizes 3.2 billion pounds from the elderly and even forces furious families to pay access to own bank account. 3,000 complaints in the first 18 months of a new system. This is October 25th, 2009. A Secret Court is seizing the assets of thousands of elderly and mentally ill or mentally impaired people and turning control of their lives over to the state against the wishes of their relatives. The draconian measures are being imposed by the little-known Code of Protection set up two years ago to act in the interests of people suffering from Alzheimer's or other mental incapacity or just being old, elderly. The court, the court hears about 23,000 cases a year, always in private, involving people deemed unable to take their own decisions, or should we make, I guess, Using far-reaching powers, the court has so far taken control of more than 3.2 billion pounds of assets. That's not a bad take, isn't it? 
The cases involve civil servants from the Office of the Public Guardian, which last year took £23 million in fees directly from the bank accounts of those struck down by mental illness, involved in accidents or suffering from dementia. By the way, Canada's got this too. If you end up in, in an old folks' home, as they call them, uh, are a care, I call them exit centres, not, not, not sunny fields or green fields or whatever they like to call them, but even for a week or two, because you're recuperating from an operation or whatever, if you end up in them and you have no living will, they, they grab your property and your bank accounts for good. Even though you might be getting out in a month, they prefer you to simply die there, which most folk do. That's how bad it is. They just steal from you. Constant steal. Theft is okay as long as the big guys with the black uniforms who want to kill people are on their side. And they are. They are on their side. They're all over the place on their side. Amazing, eh? And the people down below are busy running and scurrying and working. And the rest of the time, they're zonked out from front TV sets or boozing it up, trying to forget how miserable their lives are. Quite something. And rather than go after the bankers, that's what they go after. Folk with a few bucks in the bank, maybe an old rickety house. And that's not all. Now they're going after your safety deposit boxes all over the place. Back with more after this break. through the matrix just mentioning under this new world system this new totalitarian system where internal armies have been formed out of police who all want to wear jackboots and smash through windows like ninjas they've grown up with games you see and now they've got the authority of the state to do what they want and they're doing it and so you get worse and worse and worse but people thought they were safe by having their valuables put into safety deposit boxes. After all, is there anything stable about the paper currency? Well, we've all been taught, no, of course not. And traditionally, people have often done that. They've, they've, they've got gold, silver, jewelry, or whatever is, is worth something and holds some kind of value. Some kind of value, regardless if it was up or down. You don't lose it all, hopefully. And they put it in safety deposit boxes. Well, they're going after that now, too, under the guise that most folk, you see, that's, a, that's really what this, this spiel is from the, the news and their PR firm. Remember, all of these, these organizations, including police societies and special teams, all go through public relations, which is propaganda relations, you see, to justify what they do. So uh, this article here is to say, the raid that rocked the Mets, metropolitan London, white gun and drugs, up on 6,717 6, safety deposit boxes could cost the taxpayers a fortune. It's amazing it didn't cost the taxpayers a fortune because so many lawsuits coming out of it now. And it says more than 500 officers, this is an army, 500 officers smashed their way into thousands of safety deposit boxes 
And this is what the, the spiel is, was, of course, was to retrieve guns, drugs, and millions of pounds of criminal assets. At least that's what was supposed to happen. Adrian Levy and Cathy Scott Clark investigate. This is the 24th of October. Mail online. That gives you Finchley Road, etc., blah, 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 the lead up to it, the usual sort of stuff. And the M1 motorway, that's always pretty slow going, it says, but this was even worse. Uh, the normal three lanes going north had been cut down to one, but it was also because of drivers slowing down to a crawl so they could grasp at the massive police operation unfolding in a busy corner of the road. Police vehicles, both car and menacing armoured trucks. This is how they do raids today on safety deposit boxes. Did you see this going to any of the banks to find out what they were up to? No. <laughs> of course, you never will lie there. So it's jammed up two lanes, two lanes of armoured trucks and police vehicles and 500 cops. Dozens of armed officers in bulletproof vests were standing ready to be called inside an anonymous-looking building. From the sheer manpower and weapons on display, it looked like the capital was under another terrorist attack. But this was the Metropolitan's police most ambitious operation in its 180-year history. It had nothing to do with national security. It says it was to do with partly PR, you see, public relations. They want to put, say, oh, everybody who's got a, a bot on these boxes is a crook. They must have be a crook, or otherwise it would be in the bank, obviously, in cash. They go to the bank, it doesn't exist, in fact, it's just numbers. But that doesn't matter. Reality doesn't matter in this world anymore. It says here that, uh, yeah, they showed about one gun that they found in one of them, in all these hundreds and hundreds of boxes, but only 10%, maybe 10% of all those they wrecked in ruins and, and confiscated, maybe from criminal proceeds. The rest of the people, 90% of them, have to put down £50,000 to sue them to get anything back. They're stealing everything. But it's lawful. They are the law. They make the laws. Well, from Hamish myself, in a very, very continuously wet interior Canada, now that they've altered the jet stream and spray the, the, the Jesus out of the sky, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.